Welcome to my basement, everybody. We've got an awesome audio exclusive episode for you today. And this is thanks to everybody at XDS, the External Development Summit. I was privileged to be the host of XDS 20 this year. And through the course of uh, my responsibilities, I was able to interview Amy Hennig, who is our guest today on the podcast. I recently talked with Craig Duncan, and I hope you've had a chance to uh, listen to that podcast because that conversation was wonderful as well. Uh, But today we get to hear from the one and only Amy Hennig, who has had an extraordinary career already and continues in her new role at Skydance, which we're going to find out about. She helped to deliver one of my favorite video games of all time, Uncharted 2, and she's a person that has always understood the value of storytelling in video games. She's a phenomenal creator, and uh, I really have to give a huge uh, shout out and, a, and lots of appreciation to the folks at uh, XDS for bringing her on board as a keynote conversation. And um, it was my honor to speak with her. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Amy Henning. Hello, everybody at XDS. My name is Victor Lucas from the Electric Playground. And I have to tell you, when I found out that I was going to be virtually hosting, I guess I'm really hosting, but in a virtual way, XDS this year, (laughs) the thing that was most exciting to me was that I was going to be able to talk and sit down with my friend Amy Hennig, who I've known for about 25 years at this point. I know, we you, were doing the math. It's crazy, right? It's insane. You know her work from the uh, the Soul Reaver games and Jack and Daxter and the Uncharted games. And you're about to find out all about her new direction well, as the president all. of new media. Well, not <laughs> everything. Some not everything. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> but she's got a lot of stories to tell, and we have got Amy Hennig for a whole hour. Amy, it is so fantastic to see you, my friend. I know it's so good to see you too, Vic. It has been it's been a long friendship. If only we could do this in person, like I said. I know, I know. Well, we, uh, we we will get to a lot, and I think people around the world are very curious to have your insights and. Uh, you know, a look into the experience that you've had. And I think what we should do is kind of start with the early days and and look back on your career a bit. And Mm -hmm. my specific question to you is kind of what drew you to video games? Were were you a fan? Were you playing? And you thought there there might be a career for me here? Uh, Never the there might be a career for me here until the very last minute. Um, I had all these Mm. other ambitions, but I was a kid who was obsessed with video games, such as it was. I mean, we're talking Pong, Night Driver, Atari 2600, because I'm 56 years old. So, you know, we got to go into the Wayback Machine here. Um, But uh, I was obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons and uh and video games and 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 star wars so you can kind of see how like i was on a collision course with with my future i just didn't know it and uh, i studied english literature i studied film production and film theory um Mm. had this idea that i wanted to be a writer slash filmmaker um where was all this where did where did you grow up so uh bay area san francisco bay area and so i went to uc berkeley and then i was studying i was getting my master's in in film at uh, san francisco state Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pretty close to finishing, but, uh, the irony is, is I was taking any small job I could get just to pay the bills, sure. um, and pay for school. And one of those small jobs just serendipitously turned out to be doing all the art design and animation for an Atari 7800 game with just one programmer, uh, down in San Amazing. Jose. What um, was the game? 
Well, it never came out. So, you know, okay. these are things that they're always humbling. It was, it was uh, Electra Cop, but not the Atari Lynx version. They just used the okay. same name. And they, so gotcha. it was like a pretty ambitious, you know, Nintendo style side scroller. We're, we're really proud of it. It just never actually got published. Um, right. Um, it's, so it's one of those, uh, those, those lost treasures, we'll say. Um, but uh, but it, 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 it sort of whet my appetite. And I kind of had that light bulb moment that we often have where we go like, well, wait a second, or maybe I could apply all of these skills and these things that I love and go to this kind of blue ocean, this, this, this new frontier um, where you can be a, a pioneer and not feel like you're fighting kind of all the entrenched hierarchies of these existing mediums. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it totally does. And, and, you know, from what I know of the Bay Area as well, like it, it, there are a lot of... Um, uh, you, you know, supporting film studios and, you know, people like Lucasfilm and, mm -hmm. and Pixar and things like that. But it's not the central hub of where ideas in the film industry really start. Mm -hmm. You know, they have yeah. to kind of be paid for from down south. But I guess what really happened out of the Bay Area is that the game studios became its own, yes. you know, geographically located industry there. And that must yeah. have been beneficial for you. Sure. Yeah. Because what happened was, is I sort of, you know, cobbled together a portfolio of the work that I'd done as well as my work from, from film school and right. got a job as a junior artist, uh, you know, entry level at Electronic Arts in 1991. Um, and then from Electronic Arts, I went to Crystal Dynamics and then I made the leap to LA and went and joined Naughty Dog in 2003. But um, the first 12 years of my career were, were here in the Bay Area. And so the irony is, is like going to film school, I had these ambitions of like, you know, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to make movies right. like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And of course, the message I was kind of getting is, is like, you're dreaming way too big, you know, yeah. like, yeah. and, and that's never going to happen, especially as a woman. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and again, sadly, this was in the late 80s. And I would have hoped we were more progressive at that point. But um uh, I, f I saw these barriers to doing the thing I dreamed to do. And, uh, and strangely, even though it was not clear what the course of the game industry would be, because it was just pixels and, you know, one page of graphics and, you know, it was very limiting, right? Right. But this idea that there was this nascent industry. Uh, and so the, the irony potential. is I've ended up working on, you know, <laughs> what may as well be Indiana Jones because it's a love letter <laughs> too, and and worked on Star Wars. Unfortunately, another another game that didn't see the light of day. But you know, it's so funny because video games in Hollywood have always been on this collision course. And yeah. how different would have this all turned out if L.A., if Hollywood was the birthing place of so many of these videos? I mean, obviously, it's a big it, hub for games now, it but is now, yeah. It, yeah, it wasn't really considered where games came out of, you know, and I feel like that autonomy have helped to craft a little bit of mystery that Hollywood was enticed by. Yeah, and remains enticed, I think, because, you know, yeah. you know, although it's somewhat misleading, the, the statistics of saying, you know, the game industry makes more than the film industry. It depends, like, how you count and, and you know, what you're counting, but... Sure. Um, uh, I think what's interesting for me, too, in my own... Uh, that I've charted in my life is that uh, so games began as software, right? And there's some mm -hmm. there's some lingering kind of issues around that I think on our industry where we think about yeah. things as having you know features and bullet points yes. versus thinking of it as this holistic entertainment uh, product, right? And yeah. and and so that's one of the things in in looking for my next 
thing after Electronic Arts, this recent uh, gig at Electronic Arts, finding a home at Skydance felt so, it was unexpected and then just so comfortable and natural because here you've got a company where you f that fundamentally understands it's about story and character. If you don't get those things right, nobody shows up and nobody cares, right? Yes. So whereas in the game industry, you often have to fight to say, look, story's important. Let's not treat it as sidecard onto the main game or or some sort of afterthought, you know? And 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 sometimes those conversations still happen today, even though we've I, th I think I hope we've proven that you know games with story can be wildly successful, right? Well, it's not, you make it look very easy though, Amy, and it's not, it's not the same at every studio. And I think the part, part of the struggle for the balance of story versus gameplay is because mm -hmm. the storytelling has not been nurtured in quite the, the way that maybe it should be in the video well, game sure. space. No, for, and look, you know? I, there, there is something meaningful in the fact that if you look at studios that have excelled in interactive storytelling, it's very often true that the creative director is also the lead writer, right? right. Um, and it's because you need to be advocating for the story every single day, not over gameplay, but in the marriage with, right? And too often in studios, you know, the focus is entirely on the feature set. You know, it's it's on the design, which you know, which is all important stuff. Yeah. And story is sort of like, oh, and we're going to hire a writer and they're going to come in. And it's like that right. never is yes. going to mesh because yes. Every hour, every day, these things diverge. And our job as creative directors, who are also the lead writers, is to continually sew it back together again, right? The only time <clears> I've <throat> seen that kind of work is in the uh, the comic book video game, where they have employed mm -hmm. comic book writers to kind of sure. you know, create authenticity. But if you're crafting mm -hmm. something brand new, like your Nathan Drake adventures, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to sort of navigate through how gameplay comes into play and how storytelling comes into play. Mm -hmm. what, what's the best lesson that you learned from Nathan Drake? Oh my gosh, the best lesson I learned from Nathan Drake. Um, I guess it's what I just said, the story and gameplay are the same thing, right? Mm. If this, the, the, the gameplay better be uh, advancing the story and the story better be supporting the gameplay, right? That when we treat these things as separate, it's very tangible in the final product, right? And so when I say that as directors, we have to have this sort of holistic, flexible approach, it's because, you know, you sort of set the goal, you set the North Star for the team of going, this is what is meant to be happening in the story right now, right? Mm -hmm. And then interactively, you have to let them go and figure out what the best expression of that is in the game. And then you go, and sometimes you have to tug them back and go, eh, that's actually going to kind of diverge from the story. Or you go, that's amazing. And now I'm actually going to write the scene a different way that will support getting in and out of that moment. So it is this constant handoff, right? And um, that I think is fundamentally, this is why these things are hard to ape. When, yeah. people, when companies are trying to emulate, say, what, what say Naughty Dog has accomplished, right? Is because... Yes. It's not about the ingredients. It's about the underlying ethos and philosophy behind it, right? And I've said that also about why do we get good results on the stage? It's not about we wore these kind of suits and we did the crew look like this and these were the people here and, and you know, we had a rehearsal day. It was the underlying ethos of, you know, check your ego at the door, you know, playful collaboration with the actors 
And, right. and, and, and look, this is, this is relevant to the larger theme here, right? I mean, it is. Uh, which is, man, you better be working with your external partners as close collaborators and yes, ending them and giving them ownership, right? Otherwise, this old school attitude around outsourcing, which is really a pejorative for me, this mm -hmm. idea that you make a list of the assets that you need and you throw it over the fence and then you get something back. It's like, that is not the way to do it. The way to do it is to treat your external partners just as if they were, you know, internal partners. They were, they were employees. Um, and in this brave new world that we're all living in now where we're all remote working, it is all the same thing. Right? <laughs> um, was this it was something our, that you... It was our your philosophy going in, you know? Was this something that you you learned while at Naughty Dog? Because obviously, you know, scaling from PlayStation Two to PS Three and the Uncharted success mm -hmm. and the size, the team size, yeah. must have been um, eye opening and come with yeah. its own set of challenges. Was it a, a necessity to kind of share that workload? Sure. I mean, and, and, and I don't have it in front of me, of course, but if you can track like the team size and sort of the production methodology from say Uncharted 1 up till, you know, I'll say Last of Us, because that was the last game where I was at Naughty Dog um, and kind of witnessing. We went from, you know, maybe 75 people on the team and zero outsourcing. I'll still use the word outsourcing because that was how we thought of it. Um, sure. To, you know, <laughs> you can end up I think in the last Last of Us Two probably had 300 people on the team and probably you know, well over a dozen external partners, right? And so there's just been a shift in the industry, where, you know, these external partners are experts in their field, they're experts in their discipline, and instead of trying to necessarily recruit those people to be under your roof, um, which look, there's only so many of them to go around, right? right. We should be engaging them. Um, as externals, right? Honoring their uh, their independence as a unit, right? Um, mm -hmm. But leaning their into expertise. their but leaning into their expertise, and so right, yeah. Um, so it's been, I think, something we've learned over time. We didn't used to do any sort of um, di distributed development like that because right. we were just sort of small teams, and so. But, but philosophically, it's something, and it's something, you know, when I was, you know, last at EA working on, on Ragtag, the Star Wars game, um, one of our key relationships was with EA Shanghai, which was sort of started as sort of an outsourcing arm of the organization. And, mm. and, and to be honest and candid, there was a little bit of repairing that had to be done to that relationship when we were working with them to say, we do not see you that way as sort of, you know, you know, a vendor to whom we are delivering, you know, tasks, task lists. We want you to feel like you are members of the team. You just happen, your desk just happens to be geographically a little farther away, right? Right. Um, and so I think it's just, it's something we've had to evolve to as an industry, but it's something that I and my partners in this venture, from all of our own varied experience, um, brought into this from the get-go right, is that this is how we're structuring our business. When you're building a new studio from the ground up, you're not going to do it the old way. Totally. We, we've got a lot of companies that are um, obviously attending XDS, uh, looking to create some of these relationships. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I'm wondering how you can share some wisdom about how you foster those relationships and maintain them so mm -hmm. that you have, you know, a long partnership and, and you're right. able to collaborate on many projects together. Right. Well, it's exactly what I said. And look, I think it's extending the principles that you would hopefully be applying internally 
to all mm -hmm. of your external partners as well, which is again, that you're not trying to like, as a director, hold the reins so white knuckled tightly that right. all people are doing is executing on, like I said, the tasks that you're giving them with, with no kind of independence or freedom or ownership, right? I mean, that's, that's soul crushing for, the, for, the, for that person. So, and it'd be soul so crushing you, for that person. So you have that insight, but on the other side, yes. what, what do they need to provide to you so that you feel that, that comfort mm -hmm. in letting go of those reins? Well, first, I mean, obviously they need to have the level of expertise and experience that uh, would be required to entrust them with that sort yeah. of autonomy, right? Um, and that's why, you know, and look, if there's somebody who's, who's newer, you know, maybe really talented, but needs a little bit more guidance, then, you know, you, you dial it in as appropriate, right? But in general, the way we've structured our, this new venture in the studio is we're going to stay small, right? Yeah. You know, uh, we're in the double digits and, and the, the low double digits and we're going to, and we're not really going to, we're never going to be in the triples, I don't think. Um, uh, and the goal is to have this, this internal team of absolute veterans who are directors in their own right, 20 plus years of experience in their field and their discipline, and then have all of these spokes going out to external partners who are absolute specialists in their fields. And each of these directors then will work closely with those teams. But that same level of trust that I have to extend to the people internally. And again, there is no such thing as internally anymore. It's all this <laughs> anymore. Yes. It's all faces yes. on screens. I, um, so true. But it's, it's, if you have to then say, look, here's the goal. Here's what we're aiming for. Here's the pillars that you can use as sort of guide rails. And we'll tug you back if you go in the wrong direction. But if you're telling them what you're trying to accomplish and then leaving them enough room to really feel ownership, they're going to deliver something much greater um, and probably surprise you and plus what you know you would have come up with initially. And so this is the idea. Everything is improv, right? Which is really yeah. hard because for people that want to like, you know, really ratchet down on production, want everything to be noble, well, they're gonna live lead very frustrated lives because <laughs> what we do is is inherently unknowable. It requires, you know, an act yes. of faith every day all the time. Yes. Right. And yeah. so uh, you have to be able to go, here are the parameters and now yes and me and all yes and you and we'll kind of Very keep nice. elevating and plusing plusing the work together but that's why it's really important for people with uh, this veteran level experience to have the holistic understanding of the product so that they can correct and adjust like you would with an actor right saying yeah. a little bit of this not quite that um yeah. but then also to absolutely embrace the unexpected that you know your partners bring and go, it's yes, we're going to do that. And we're going to actually like change something else to be flexible around that. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's, it is an abstract philosophy. Like I can't give you a, you know, a bullet list of do this, this, and this. Um, but I think that that's, that's how you make excellent work. And that sort of organic collaboration is absolutely tangible in the final product. 100%. It's such a, um, a wonderful industry for that because it's always reinventing. It's always kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, repositioning itself on how we're going to move forward. And I think the pandemic this year has just up, been an upheaval and, uh, and an awareness of how 
disciplined people can be in external situations mm -hmm. like this. Yeah, but it's well, also it's interesting for us. It's interesting it, for me to yeah. see the uh, the 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 uh, full circle idea of you starting as a film student <laughs> and kind of adopting a lot of film production philosophy in the way that yes. you're making games now, right? Absolutely. No, that's a great sort of segue to what I was thinking is, so when we started off to do this um, and my business partner, uh, Julian Beek and I, we were kind of the co-founders of this venture, uh, you know, in partnership with Skydance Media. Um, we we're like, okay, ground up, we're building this thing what what's important right what matters um how can we take all of our combined experience and then sort of have the humility to go let's rethink this and not think that this is sort of like development dogma that we're just going to recreate right? right and so one of those things is and why we were so excited to partner with a media company that has spokes in tv film animation etc right like is that we're leaning hard into what we can learn from these other disciplines while also retaining what we do better, right? You know, obviously it's not complete humility. There's certain things we do really well. But this idea that's, we think of ourselves much more like a media production company it just happens to be interactive, right? So that right. we have this, this small constant team, this core team of, you know, you know, at least starting with veteran level people and then expanding from there, right? And then, and then just like you would if you were a film director or you know a producer who is making a film, you then start bringing in the talent who is right for the project, right? Who, who has the right experience, the right viewpoint, um, and then also look at who's in their network that works well with them. So, you know, you hire a director who then brings in their DP, who, you know, brings in their production designer, right? It's sort of like, but the way, you know, film and TV production works, these things wax and wane, right? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy that we've, because it was software development, that we built up this way of working that was like, nope, it's all under your roof. You're carrying that overhead all the time, right? Which is why the pressure to figure out how you're like reapportioning resources all the time and like trying to do DLC so you're keeping everybody busy, which again can be so crushing to for people. Which is all a technical right? kind of software yes. packaged thing. And but that we make isn't the way. Yeah, your entertainment, you're telling stories. Yes. And it, it's been an amazing year as we talk about film and, and uh, video games kind of correlating. And, you know, certainly this is applicable to Skydance, but mm -hmm. uh, we have Tom Holland as, as Nathan Drake, yep. you yep. know, the images of <laughs> and he looks happened. Great. Yeah. He does look great. Uh, and today, <laughs> Assassin's Creed is announced as a, a new series for uh, Netflix. They're going to do right. live action and animation. Mm -hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog was, a, I think, we, it was a massive hit. So I think we're crossing mm -hmm. into that space that, you know, Hollywood has been threatening us with for a long time. I think we're going to start <laughs> to see, see some video game, you know, characters and properties turn into actually really successful movie and TV properties. And yeah. so suddenly the equation <clears> of... <throat> everybody working in in uh in sync with each it's other it's all going to get very blurry and and look one of the yeah. reasons for that the one of the reasons you're seeing <clears throat> video game adaptations that are actually good is because of the age i mean and you don't want to be look i don't want to be ageist i mean <laughs> i was born in 1964 so like you know i don't want to i don't want to put myself in a, a, a call myself old but like you see these young guys coming into film, you know, they're in their thirties or whatever, and they grew up on games. And so like, there's a respect for the medium that I don't think existed 
when there were more sort of cynical adaptations being made. Sure. Oh, like this game is popular. We should make a movie of that. But then, you know, the producers and filmmakers didn't really understand the property or no. love it, right? But now you've got a whole group of, of, of young filmmakers who have come up on games and they actually, they see it as a very valid medium um, and they're homaging it. So it's just this kind of like love letter back and forth between film and games now. Um, <clears throat> and I think, and I think we are real, realizing that this sort of merge, and look, this is kind of fundamentally what our venture is about, is, is that, like I said, at the end of the day, what people really care about is story and characters, <clears throat> especially yeah. sort of like, you know, the larger audience that we sometimes leave unserved with interactive mm -hmm. entertainment. Right. We think that, you know, we want to be first movers in this space where we're going to be able to not only reach longtime gamers <clears throat> with interactive content that is fresh, and uh, inviting and, 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 and engaging for them, but is also inviting to this larger audience. And there's, you know, we've, so we spent a lot of time and I won't, you know, deep dive on this because it's a different talk, but like, you know, about thinking about what those frictions are that would keep the sort of larger audience as well as gamers being, feeling invited and engaged, right? Um, and uh, one of those things we see on the horizon um, is, you know, the emergence of cloud-based streaming. Um, and Facebook entered the fray this week. Jason Rubin, yeah, yeah, Naughty right. Dog, is yeah. running Facebook cloud gaming now. There you go, right? And yeah. so it's it's all just these lines are all going to get blurred. Is basically you know the idea is that, and so really you know we're founding this on the idea that we can be creating best in class interactive entertainment that sits right alongside the linear entertainment people have been enjoying you know, right. for years. And look, I think even pointing back to Uncharted, you can see that DNA in that thinking. And we're just kind of evolving that idea so that we can be first movers in this sort of new frontier where I think we will be able to reach everyone. And I think yes. everyone loves play and everyone loves story. And we're going to be able to reach everyone with interactive entertainment that is rich and meaningful and like moment to moment interactive you know we're not talking about branching video or anything like that i mean this is right the dna of dna of this thing is a lot more like uncharted than anything else and so that's the easiest thing to point to um uh but we see a world in a very few years where interactive like deep rich high fidelity interactive content is going to be sitting right alongside linear content on services like netflix and disney plus right Amy, if there was ever a, a, a perfect commercial for that this year, it would be the millions of frustrated gamers that tried to pre-order a PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Uh, when, you talk about, yeah, <laughs> when you talk about friction, it's like, yeah, the video game industry is excellent yeah. at putting up different you know. And I have to tell you this, when I was putting our content on television, which is a mm -hmm. mainstream vehicle, and I would interview folks like yourself at Naughty Dog and things, and I would put up Uncharted or Batman mm -hmm. content in our show. That spoke to everybody, you know? Well, look, and I really saw that as this is going to break down, you know, doors and more and more people are yeah. going to come on board. So I am fully on board with your vision for Skydance. Okay, good. Sign you up. Yeah, I mean, and look, I mean, we are, we are equally excited. I mean, I don't want to over-index on the streaming stuff. I'm just saying... It feels like this is an inevitable transformation sure. of entertainment, just like 
streaming video and streaming music transformed those industries, right? Yes. We are equally excited about the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, and we want to make sure that our work is is is, is showing up there um, because those machines are incredible. And uh, but I I also see sort of an industry wide evolution. Even even when you talk to the people that are making those machines, they see the same evolution, which is this stuff is just going to get Trojan horse directly to our TVs and devices, and. Yep. And then it's going to be incredibly democratizing in terms of who can play um, and how frictionless, frictionlessly they can play, right? And engage. just as Hollywood is figuring out how to make good video game movies, it couldn't it, it couldn't <laughs> right. write itself better, right? We're we're right. going to get more people right. involved in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so so it's been an interesting journey for us too, just kind of going back to the external partners, uh, remote work thing, is because we announced this venture almost a year ago, right? Uh, and, you know, we're immediately, we're diving into recruiting and establishing partnerships and, you know, talking to all the business stuff that you'd be doing, right? Um, you know, building a studio. We have an empty studio, right? <laughs> right across the, the way here. Um, uh, and then, yes, and then the pandemic hit, right? And so it made us rethink a lot and we were already open to the idea that if certain people couldn't relocate that we could make that work right and now of course we're just all remote and just like the whole world it's 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 this sort of a i hate to call it a silver lining because that's grotesque because this is a horrible yes. situation but yes, it is it's it is an interesting worldwide test case litmus test mm -hmm. for how we can do this and so it actually opened up a bunch of doors for us people who we thought were maybe just colleagues and thought partners, but there was no way they were going to relocate. Suddenly we were like, or you could just work for us and stay where you are, right? Right. Like time zone becomes more important than geography, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we are- And there's also to benefits to that too, though, right? Because you can have people working on assets ahead of time sure. that are ready for you. Yeah, it, it, it is a very, very interesting and intriguing world. I, you know yeah. what? I want to just put out a call out to everybody that's watching this. We have a Q&A section and we're about to go into it. And so please go ahead and uh, ask us on the XDS Connect um, page. That, click on Q&A. And if you've got any questions for Amy, I'll do my best to navigate through them and, and uh, we'll ask them directly. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the lessons that we're all learning this year... And I want to project one too that I, I've learned mm -hmm. as, as well as a content creator in this space that, you know, wakes up every day and puts a piece of video out there about what's mm -hmm. going on in, in video games. At first, I felt incredibly guilty that that was my job, you know, that I would- Because it I seems just, frivolous or- It does, you know, when there's so much darkness and-, yeah, and we talk about you know, that. Yeah, but then you hear from people Mm -hmm. And you haven't started to ship stuff yet. So you, I don't think you're hearing directly from people, but you hear mm -hmm. from people and it, it is a life preserver. You know, it's, it is yeah, a, it's a lifeline. It gives people joy and hope. And, yeah. and then, so when we, when we feel that way, you know, especially like, you know, my wheelhouse, you know, it tends to be, I mean, it's behind me here, you know, it, you know, yeah. it's Star Wars, it's, it's, it's a lot of swashbuckle and, 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 you know, pulp adventure and, and there's sort of a lighthearted optimism to, to a lot of that stuff. And sometimes there are days, you know, with a new cycle where you go, this isn't important, you know? Um, yeah. But if you look back in history, it's entertainment that yes. changes hearts and minds. 
you know. Well, it, um, it also gets us through the world too, right? And optimism it's a, it's a, and hope, yeah. right? Right. This it's is a thing to look forward to. It is, yeah. And so, like, I don't know if you know, but Mandalorian starts on Friday. I, I don't. I believe me, I know. <laughs> believe me, I know. And uh, you know, we have to have things to look forward to in this world, right? Um, but uh, but yes, I mean, th th and there are moments where it feels it's hard. You feel distracted, right, um, yeah. by what's yeah. going on. But I think that you know, without being sort of you know self-aggrandizing, like I think we as creators have to realize that what we do is very important. Um, and yes, and not only in terms of sort of communicating messages, um, which doesn't mean it's propaganda. It's just meaning that you know all entertainment can have sort of you know, deeper messages underneath and, and fundamentally just like with Star Wars, right? I mean, yeah, it's about hope, right? Yes. Hope yep. in the face of despair, right? And so um, uh, what we do is important. And it's, I think, I think it's, it's okay for us to remember that and, and, and soldier on um, enthusiastically, right? 100%. And that's a message out to everybody that's watching around the world right now. Uh, this work is important and it has real value for millions of people out there. So we're going to get into some uh, Q&A uh, questions right now. Um, this one is from Jeffrey. As we start a new console cycle with improved graphics and all the bells and whistles, in your opinion, how important is the creative direction of a script compared to the actual graphics of the game, which is kind of the, the core message that you're communicating mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we talk about fidelity a lot. And for, mm -hmm. for what we're doing, you know, really high visual fidelity is really important, right? But, it's, but that doesn't, and for us, that means photoreal, you know, as, as close as we can come with a little, little bit of stylization maybe. But like, uh, that doesn't have to be universally true, right? So there's a couple answers to that question. One is that the, the graphics don't matter if your story is bad and the writing's bad and the performances are bad, right? Like, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. And we've certainly probably seen things that would fall into that category. And the flip side is, is you have, if you have an incredibly uh, well-crafted, meaningful story, the graphics don't actually have to be that great. I mean, I was just talking to people about yesterday about the game That Dragon Cancer, right? I mean, like... Mm. One of the oh, most man, moving was... experiences, right, that yeah. uh, I've ever had. And, and they would never say, and look at our graphics, right? That wasn't the point. They were doing right. what they could do to right. tell the story they had to tell, right? And so, so the script um, is, is way more important than the graphics. But if you can get them both right, you know, like, um, uh, and, and, and when we talk about graphics, fidelity means, I think, just internal consistency and quality right? right right it doesn't necessarily mean photoreal for us yes. it does but i think in general when we talk about that know the story you're trying to tell you know engage your writers and actors or whoever you're working with as collaborators so the stuff feels organic and real and immediate um yeah. and uh you know and do the best damn job you can on the graphics but i think they're secondary Amy, I once played, I can't remember the name of this game. I think it was The Journey or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was a little uh, Java game where mm -hmm. you started off and, and you live a life and you're walking mm -hmm. along. It yeah, wasn't much yeah. to the game, yeah, yeah. but you, I don't know if you know this one, mm -hmm, but you met mm -hmm. this person and then you start walking together and then that person passes. And I was crying. I was playing right. this little Java well, game. I'm like, oh my know, God. How about 
papers please you know i mean uh incredibly moving we talk about florence a lot now granted though so there's a great example that art was in is was intentional and felt authored and and was internally consistent it wasn't photoreal it was an interactive comic right still one of the most moving experiences that people talk about thomas was alone another great example they're just differently shaped you know boxes and you're like it's an incredibly moving story right so so you know, you have to understand what the core idea underneath the, you know, is that you're trying to tell and you have to love it. Um, and that'll come through regardless of the graphics. Awesome. This one is from uh, Junie. Are there any particular developments, technology or otherwise that you're looking forward to or are very excited about? And if so, why? We touched a little bit on streaming, but maybe there's yeah. some other things. Um I'm trying to think what I f- can talk about or not. Well, I mean, look, I'll talk about streaming some more. Um, and, and I know some people are sort of cynical about it. Um, yes. Yeah. Gamers particularly, just because they think, you know. Uh, and, and, and look, I don't see it as a, as a funnel to now try to shove the existing catalog of games at an audience that's already, that hasn't been engaged by them already, right? Right. So, yeah. so when we talk about friction, some of it could be, you know, cost, console, controls, um, content, um, uh, you know, and in, infidelity. In, in there could be all these things. You know, the content being one is that it's like, well, they've already decided not to buy a console and engage with that content. So just you know, using that pipe and trying to get it down their gullets isn't the isn't the thing, right? And um, and mo- and to be clear, most people don't. Most people don't buy a con. Like consoles sell right. quite well, but most people yeah. don't buy them. You know. Yeah. And so yeah. if well, you're, that's the thing. If you're, when you're talking, yeah. we have a, we have this sort of it's it's a big core audience of gamers, but yeah. not compared to the massive people who enjoy story and play, right? right? Yes. Yeah. And you know, when we talk about what we're doing, we, we see this gulf between kind of and I won't call it hardcore, but like sort of longtime committed gamers, and I count myself mm-hmm. as one, right? Sure. And then extremely casual. But there's this gulf in between that we saw. At first, we thought it was sort of anecdotal. Then we realized it was sort of a universal phenomenon. That when we made Uncharted, that people's non-gamer loved ones, spouses, parents, yeah. friends, would not only watch, they would say, don't play that without me. Um, uh-huh. And it was for them also an interactive and collaborative experience. They weren't just watching it like a TV show. They were leaning forward and saying, I, wait, I think I saw something. Yeah, go left. Wait, go quiet. There's somebody over there. I think I saw a treasure. Let's open that up and look at it. So... You know, it's always hung in my mind that it's like, why are we not making this stuff for them? Right? Mm-hmm. And that's not an instead, it's an also. Right? Why are we not that. making it possible for these people to play as well? Because we already know they want to. I don't believe that there are such a thing as non-gamers. It's just within yes. the sort of like, you know, limited semantic, dogmatic uh, definitions of gamer. Right? But people universally enjoy games and play yes. and people universally enjoy stories so why are we not creating something that they can universally participate in you right? just have to look at how much money apple makes on the iphone from games and to know that we're all playing right. games but we're, we're exactly. maybe not accessing the most interesting mm-hmm. software out there the most yeah. interesting stories in games yeah, yeah I'm so right really, there with i think you. that is the most transformative thing that's coming Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that Facebook is in, Amazon is in, Microsoft is in, these are not like bit players. <laughs> like they, no. they are, they're taking this very seriously. And any one of them 
can be massively successful with this. And I think yes. the, the least amount of barriers to entry this week, Ubisoft and Google teamed up where you could play Immortals Phoenix Rising just from mm -hmm. clicking a link. You didn't even need a, uh, an account or anything. You play it on Stadia. Exactly. And, play it, and that's what I mean by the frictionlessness. Can you just, some, yeah. can somebody send you a link and you click it and the holy crap, you're playing, you know, yeah. and playing in a way that like you didn't realize was actually possible in terms yeah. of how, you know, rich the analog control of a thing could be, how easy it could be, you know. Yeah. This is one of the problems, and this gets us into a whole other topic that I, I won't dive into, but, like, sadly, this increasingly bristling with buttons controller that goes mm -hmm. along with being a console gamer is, for a lot of people, just a hard barrier, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's one that's, that's, that's hard. If we, I don't think we want to be thinking about how we convert these people to being gamers, right? Yes. I think we always talk about what we need to do is meet them where they are. And again, that's not abandoning our core audience, right? Right. And our longtime yeah. fans at all. It's just widening our embrace to also go like, why are we not being more inclusive? And how do we do right. that? We already seen these well, trends in the industry in terms of like accessibility and things like that. But this is absolutely. even just in terms of kind of rethinking content and verbs and, yeah. you know, and just dogma around game design. Well, and it's it's incumbent on these uh, platform holders, these streaming stakeholders to invest in that, you know, like what is going to bring people to this, but then they can't yes. also fall victim to that, th those age old uh, gate restrictive, uh, you know, philosophies and say, well, you can only play it here because that yeah. also diminishes no, the message. It, we need right? to evangelize the idea that play is everywhere and for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's see what we got here. We have... Uh, uh, this one's from Mikhail Ismailov. In general, how difficult is it to provide external partners with the values and general ideas of the narrative so that their end work results uh, result fits the ecosystem of the project properly? I guess this is the, mm -hmm. you, you know, not wanting to reveal too much because you don't want the stuff to leak, yeah, but you need right. to share some, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, look, I mean, you have to be able to trust your partners. And, and a lot of the people that we work with, I mean, they work on big feature films or like, I mean, you know, they're NDA'd up the wazoo. They understand that, you know, uh, it would be uh, catastrophic and devastating you know, if things were, were to leak. But yes, there is a certain degree of, you know, just having, having to trust, right? Um, yeah. But fundamentally, right, we talk internally because, you know, we're just sort of getting started with our team and, and, and building relationships with our external partners. We're not deep into production. You know, we've got our first two projects lined up, but we're in pre-production on the first. Um, and uh, we talk a lot about buy-in, right? And so again, the same principles that you would have internally, which is like, well, if your team doesn't understand what you're making in a way that actually empowers them to make decisions autonomously, and they don't have a buy-in on the, the high-level pillars in the vision right. well you're screwed right but it's like and if they do well then all you have to do is try to extend that same messaging out to your partners and then also that is that can be a litmus test to see whether that's a right partner because they respond to that or not if what they right. want is to be handled handed art briefs that they then go execute on and look there may be a place for that if you have a whole bunch of props that need to be made or something like that but in general we have to evangelize this this way of working which is maybe not necessarily normal for some of these groups who are used to be handed right. briefs right. and lists of things right um we have to evangelize the idea that um we 
we want them to have some creative ownership um, and then just sort of just a buy-in on our general methods, right? Um, so it's kind of like dating. If it seems like you're not compatible, you shouldn't get married, right? But it's like, in general, people have, have, have responded to that really well because I think it's sadly rare. It, I mean, it always amazes me because I know that so much of how a game really hangs and comes together is in that final few months, you know, there's so yeah. much prototyping yeah, and slivers of stuff. And that, yeah, it's right. a lot of faith, isn't it? Even and, internally, and right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was in a, uh, uh, we did the making of Fallout 3 and I was in a, a production meeting with Todd Howard, you know, talking to his whole team mm -hmm. about the game. And one of the developers stood up and said, well, our game doesn't look like Call of Duty. We're going to get killed. And Todd <laughs> had a very diplomatic response. And then afterwards he was like, God, our team doesn't get what we're making, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, well, look, yeah. It's a constant it's, thing. You don't just go, hey, this is our philosophy and we're all good, right? I mean, yeah. you're going to get it right and wrong hour by hour, day by day. Yeah. And then you just have to kind of keep adjusting if you feel like you're faltering, right? In terms of making sure everybody's on the same page. And particularly when we're not geographically co-located, right? I mean, you right. have to have all these ways of feeling like you're, you're sitting next to somebody at a desk over there, even though they, you know, they might be a time zone away or many states away, right? Um, and there's tools to do that. There's this, you know, there's, there's the yeah. video, there's, you know, team chat apps and things like that, but, um, communication. Yeah. Right. But it's like, boy, this isn't going to work if what people want to do is white knuckle control it. Right. Because right. this really requires painting the picture and then, and then having faith that someone will deliver and then just making little corrections. I mean, we always talk about, that's why these, these sort of microcosmic analogies of going, it's like working with an actor. You don't give them a line reading, you give them direction and adjustments. You know, a conductor mm -hmm. doesn't go into the orchestra and try to play everybody's instruments. You know, an art right. director shouldn't be trying to hold your pencil, right? Like, uh, you know, we, 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 we talk about analogies to what it is that we're trying to do. And there are some analogies to understanding that as a director, you're conducting, right? You're not trying to mm -hmm. play everybody's instruments, but there's also analogies to improvisational jazz, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, there isn't necessarily a roadmap. There's a shape to the thing. And then you're yes ending each other to find yeah. the, you know, the, the final form of it, because you have to assume and, and, and trust people and have faith that they're actually going to come up with a better solution than you would have directed them to do. Right? Absolutely. So the end result is every co contributor, every brushstroke, yeah, every person. All over it. Yep. Yeah. And they walk away and they're proud of that collective. They're the proud yep. of what yes. all of you have put together. Which is and so I've crucial. Said if it's even if it comes out a little jangly, the jangly thing with everybody's fingerprints on it is better than a thing that would have been this sort of you know strictly executed auteur. Vision. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, from your amazing veteran perspective, has that blue ocean you opted to pioneer begun to also become entrenched in tradition, etc.? This is from Eli. Yes, Eli, it absolutely has. And look. I had to have, you know, after leaving EA and after the closure of Visceral, you know, there was a little bit of a exhale thinking moment for both Julian and I, right? Both yeah. having over 30 years in the business uh, and, and, and weathering all those changes. I think we're in a situation now, to be honest, where the weight of pressure on these games to be everything to everybody, um, yeah. to, it, it's un sustainable and unwieldy right and actually Especially not that when satisfying you talk about as a gamer 
anymore. Yeah, and especially if you talk about exclusivity or just a diminished marketplace right. and you know, you know all of these things that we're talking about here, you know, obviously this is you trying to expound and get people in in as many different mm -hmm. ways as possible, right? Right. Well, I mean, the fact that when I started, I mean, obviously when I started it was just me and a programmer and then but it'd be like you know, you might take a year to make a game. You know, or a few yeah. months or something like that. And my first team was I me mean, 12 people, you know, and then it was 30 and then it was 75. And we get to a point now that these games take hundreds of millions of dollars to make you yeah. know hundreds of people plus external partners um and five years it's like it's just it's not fun anymore <laughs> yeah. um and 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 the the pressure of spending that much money on the, that thing to deliver right is actually really diminishing our ability to have more at bats and to do more risky creative stuff that's right. why we see more of that in the indie space right um mm -hmm. And even companies that have been more dedicated to the idea of taking creative risks are sort of battening down the hatches. And, and, and look, we've had these conversations and, and, and I talk to a lot of gamer friends of mine. I think we start feeling a little disenfranchised from our own hobby because it's become, it's become kind of a serious elite hobby where it's sort of like, if I want to play something and feel like I'm going to see the beginning, middle and end of it, and there's the arc of the story and it's going to land. I love to play things that are, four hours long five six yeah. eight hours long it's like that's rare anymore right right and it's like you've got bullet lists on the back of the box going you're going to get 40 hours of gameplay 60 100 i'm like I, i'm kind of out at this point because i'm playing the sweet this spot is you want to walk away from a game going oh my god that was awesome i want yes. more not yes. oh my god i just had to another full-time job and i finished this game and i don't ever want to see this game you don't again. get <laughs> right so it's no longer no julian always says it's not something you can do on a tuesday night and it's not necessarily yeah. something you can do with your non-gamer you know spouse right. or or household right. members because it's like you're taking over the living room tv to do this thing that is kind of excludes them and it's like well can we not rein in the scope you know uh, rain in the time it takes so that we get more at bats. We don't want to spend more than a couple of years on these these projects, and 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 the scope and the focus has to come in accordingly, right? Right. And and again, when we look at like trying to imagine this being like you know it's 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 a misnomer because it brings up the wrong ideas, but almost like an interactive TV show, you know, mm -hmm. in scope yep. that you go like mm -hmm. you know I know that I can turn on Lovecraft country and I'm going to get to watch the whole thing and there's going to be an arc and I'm going to get to the end of it. It's like, I want to play games like that. I want to have yes. interactive story experiences like that where I can share it. I, I It's manageable in scope. And then, so it's manageable in scope as a gamer and it's manageable in scope and focus as a developer, right? That yeah. you pick your battles, you know what you're focusing on, and you're not trying to check every damn box all the time. Yeah, that's the stuff that's in, unsustainable. And so, when we talk about red oceans and blue oceans, the game industry is turning into a bit of a red ocean yeah. in that regard. And so, when we left Visceral and, and EA, <clears throat> we went kind of walk about and talk to a bunch of people in and out of the game industry, the entertainment industry, just gamer friends like you, and just trying to like take the temperature. And finding that everyone's feeling the same way, even if they don't yes. say it out loud or publicly, right? And this is why we sort of ended up hewing toward entertainment companies and, and, and why we ended up partnering with Skydance, because they had the same vision of the future that we saw. Because again, full circle here, if it's not about story and character, you're not starting with what's important to people, 
Right. I've got a good uh, question here re yeah. relating to that. In your view, why do you believe that the industry has uh, has to do, or what do you what do you believe the industry has to do to move completely away from the rhetoric that story is secondary to mechanics and have games accepted truly as an interactive art form? Uh, this is from uh, Femi Boyer from Airship Industries. Images. Well, look, you know, I, I don't want to be misunderstood either. As if, if you know, when I'm giving a personal critique of where I feel like the industry is going or where some of these games are going, I, I have no problem with them existing. I even enjoy them on some level when I can, I have a weekend or something. Um, uh, but some of these things fight story. Story is about intentionality and pace and propulsion. Mm, yes. And there is a level of authorship. I wouldn't say auteur, but authorship, a shared authorship of the development team, right? Um, whereas the pressure to say this game is 100 hours long, it's about story, but it's 100 hours long, is so padded out that, you know, all the air goes out of the thing. Right, yeah. we're we're not yeah. following very good storytelling principles in terms of keeping people engaged. Right, <clears throat> so I feel like as story experiences, interactive story experiences, um, we are, we're better off when we focus on you know limiting the scope and the focus, um, and 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 making sure there's a beginning, middle, and end, and we are keeping good narrative pace and propulsion. That doesn't mean these other games shouldn't exist, but they're not gonna be regarded in the same way if you're talking about, will these things be looked at as, as art, right? I mean, right. Um, and, 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 and even that sounds sort of judgy and pejorative, and I don't even, I don't even mean it that way. It's, it's just that like, by the, in the greater context of entertainment industry in the world and, and consumers of media, you know, they're gonna look at a, you know, uh, you know, an ongoing multiplayer shooter, you know, or something yeah. like Fall Guys or whatever, which is great uh, as as fun, but they might not take the same meaning they would take from this thing that was sort of authored, right? There is this um, correlation, I feel, with Twitch and YouTube and games like that. You know, I think mm -hmm. about Overwatch from Blizzard, which feels like there is a huge hyper story connecting all mm -hmm. of these disparate characters. Mm -hmm. But that's up to the player to figure it out, you know, and it feels yeah. like that is engineered for, uh, you know, the, the scattershot quick attention span of a YouTube viewer mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a correlation there T definitely crafted with an intentionality and like people knew what they were doing with this, mm -hmm. uh, but very different from, you, you know, your games sure. and sort of what your philosophy is now, it feels like. Yeah, and look, there's no dogma here, like I say, because sometimes people misinterpret. People are so dogmatic these days, they assume yes. when you sort of express an opinion that it's like either or, you know, pro, yes, right. yay, nay. And it's like, no, 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 I'm just expressing my my personal kind of preferences and sort of what, what I am magnetized to. But like, you know, as a storyteller, I do get a little dogmatic about the semantics around the word story because I think that does imply intent and authorship, right? Yeah. Um, uh, having a, you know, a story-like experience where you have all kinds of player agency um, is not necessarily going to have the same kind of intent or land the same way. That doesn't mean it's not enjoyable, right? Um, so, it, so this is a tricky one, right? Because on the one hand, one piece of interactivity that has nothing to do with buttons and mechanics is interpretation. There's mm -hmm. a collaborative nature uh, between the relationship between 
the game maker and the game player, right? That you want to leave enough to their imagination and their agency that they feel like they're collaborating and telling the story with you, right? And making it theirs. Right. And, 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 but that doesn't mean it has to be branching. That can actually be really dilutive. It's more about the micro choices they make along the way and what you leave to interpretation. So they feel that it is collaborative, even just in that way. Now that's when we talk about these other games that are sort of just kind of so loose sort of simulations where things can happen and you can kind of go this happened, this happened, this happened, and that feels like a story. Um, there's again nothing wrong with that, but it's it's almost entirely player interpretation sometimes versus going right. you know there is room for player interpretation as a collaborative you know performer within this within this story that we prescribe. But again, it's just a different. It's kind of a different genre almost, right? It is, and, and, and that's part of the wonderful thing about games, and I think what makes it so exciting for external devs who get to kind of work on a bunch of these different mm-hmm. projects, because you can you know work on a, a story-driven game like Zelda Breath of the Wild, which has so much uh, you know stories built from its physics-based gameplay. You know, mm-hmm. you'll walk away talking about right. how you rolled a boulder down you didn't know that right. you could do. Right, right, uh, exactly. We've got a question here from uh, Junie again saying, how would you describe the Skydance company culture and how do you support and stimulate living up to those ideals with both internal and external team members, especially working remotely? Right. So it's interesting because, you know, we are in a partnership with Skydance. So we're we're internal, but we're also this new entity, right? Mm. Um, And what's been great about it's like we get the best of both worlds in a way. We have a certain level of kind of autonomy to sort of define this direction for this new frontier, but we are also sort of embraced inside, you know, the womb of this 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 established company. And in David Ellison's vision for for Skydance, which is it was so exciting to us, is the idea that yes, there are all these spokes between. You know, there's an existing interactive group that's, you know, doing VR, there's, you know, animation, um, there's there's film, there's TV, and then there's us exploring this new media space. He doesn't see those as silos. Right. He sees them as sort of this interconnected web where we can kind of learn stuff through collaboration, cross-pollination and osmosis, whatever, right? The osmosis mm. part is hard when we're all remote, right? Um but that underlying ethos of um, sort of safe creativity, it's a safe place to take risks. And, uh, and that there's this expectation that these different mediums will plus each other, right? Right. Through cross-pollination is sort of kind of unique. I think a lot of people talk about that, but they don't live it the same way that, that, that Skydance mm-hmm does right and the other thing too and and look i say this just because uh i think it's important is you know we joined and then we've been going through this kind of terrible national and worldwide crisis right boy you get to see people's true character in times of of crisis and Mm -hmm. uh they are just so fundamentally good you know and and you don't necessarily expect that but i mean through you know, not only the pandemic, but through, you know, uh, our cultural crisis with, you know, the murder of George Floyd and, 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 and all the fallout from that and, and the summer that we had, um, you know, they are, their heads and hearts are so screwed in right, 
Um, And it made us feel really great to know under pressure that we had signed with a company whose ethics were so on point. So taking those lessons and then sharing them, I guess, is, Mm -hmm. is kind of up to all of you as ambassadors working under this, I would imagine, right? Yeah, for sure. As and, and exactly. And so in the sort of remote working world, you know, obviously we, we do a lot of this um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not the same as being together in person for sure. But, um, uh, and we make sure that even though, you know, we're all remote and then everyone we're hiring, I mean, there's people that, you know, are part of the team I've never physically met in person before. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I only know them as a little postage stamp on the screen. Um, (laughs) They also feel embraced into the larger Skydance culture um, and don't feel like they are sort of out in some sort of outer spiral arm of, you know, this, 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 this uh, galaxy and um, that they participate in Skydance events and learning um, and uh, the social programs within, within Skydance, as well as connecting with people who may be in a different arm of the con- company. So we, we have a lot of shared DNA with the animation group, as you can imagine, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so it's been great to talk to them about some of our shared concerns around collaboration um, and technology and things like that. Amy, I feel like we're just getting started. I know. <laughs> but, we just uh, go all day. Alas, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, alas, <laughs> our, our session is uh, winding down right now. But I, I absolutely thank you to everybody that sent in a, a question through yeah, Q&A. Sorry, I'm, I'm a long-winded answerer. So. Oh, you were you were wonderful, <laughs> and I, 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 I gosh, I adore talking with you, and oh, I just think I know, you're an amazing it. human. Oh, thank you. I can't you. wait to see you in person. Back at you. I know. Yeah, and. I, might be another year, so we'll <laughs> we'll do more of this. We'll, <laughs> well, if you're ever in the but, Bay Area, I'll stand 20 feet away from you and wait. So <laughs> let me know. Uh, that I, I'll take you up on that, and and okay. you also in Vancouver. Uh, but right. everyone, please, from wherever you are, let's give it up for Amy Hennig, oh, and thank you so thank much you. for uh, joining us for XDS 20 Great. Adapt, and uh, and uh, best of you. luck. Thank you. Yeah, we'll talk more soon, and and I hope everyone has a great summit. Isn't she wonderful? That was Amy Hennig. And as you can probably tell, I felt very, very lucky to be able to speak with her. She's one of my favorite people in the video game industry. I can't wait to see what she has in store for us, she and all of her colleagues at Skydance. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be very cool and very original. And uh, I think we're going to find out soon because it feels like there is a lot of momentum going on at Skydance right now, which is great. And I'm very happy for her. I also had another incredible conversation that I'm going to share with you very soon. So please uh, subscribe to Vic's Basement wherever you listen to this podcast. It's going to be with Guha and Karthik Bala, who started Velen Studios. These are the people that just made Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. It is an incredible undertaking and something very unique for Nintendo Switch. But their story goes much deeper than that. I also spoke with them about their uh, roots in games and their long history as the founders of Vicarious Vision. So make sure you subscribe to Vic's Basement wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for doing that. And hey, if you ever want to tune in and watch a live Vic's Basement in video form, you can uh, come and join us at our YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash EPN 
TV, youtube.com slash EPN TV. We've got an incredible chat there. And uh, it's a lot of fun doing a lot of these live streams, but there's also lots of other content on the channel, reviews and other interviews. So we would love to see you there. That's going to do it for this episode of Vic's Basement, though. Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. Until then, play forever.